welcome to another episode of Chatty Broads with Becca and Jess. Well, hello there, Broads. Hello. We are joined by a special guest today. Listen, it is not often that we have anyone from The Bachelor on. It just doesn't ever really happen. We talk about it a lot, but you know... This individual is here in person. I'm so excited. Elise is here. Thanks for having me. It's been a long time coming. Oh my God. We've been talking for quite some time. When was Colton's season? When did you film? Three years ago? Three years ago. Wow. Yeah, three years ago was exactly, right? Well, Peter, I guess. Yeah, almost three years ago because Peter's was the last before, you know, the COVID yeah. boring date started. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. You got one of the one of the few beforehand. I mean, and I feel like Colton season two was like it started with Ari's. Well, no, it's I guess maybe Nicks. right before that Nick's when everything starts going in an upward tra- trajectory. And then your season, I feel like, was the first where Instagram then became mix like, was came mix off. was pretty big because like Corinne oh, and yeah, Corinne like did. um all those people were pretty big on Instagram yeah and then it was art and then it and really it just, peaked with like Pete's season yeah Pete's was ex- exploded but I remember I, I remember then looking and watching the numbers like with Colton season being like oh shit like it was wild yeah I mean we had Demi and Hannah and Kaylin so. They gained a following really quick. That's it was true. wild to watch. That's true. I always and then yeah, now then now there's Tasha. It feels like forever ago. We had a lot of bachelorettes off of our season. Now that I think about it. We had Hannah B and then Tasha. Yeah, more than one bachelorette yeah. from your season. Dang. I forgot that Tasha was on Colton. I always forget that. <laughs> and then I remember their weird overnight date and it all comes flooding back. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I didn't get to that point. <laughs> <laughs> Hindsight's twenty twenty, isn't it? <laughs> and that is when, like, I mean, you will then, for, I mean, we loved you from everything, but forever be remembered for that exit. And I got to tell you, nothing gets me more excited on the show when someone self-eliminates because it's like, no, I'm aware of what's going on. And it's just, you know, Can we get a refresher lot. on what went down that season? Because even when we were talking about it this morning, I was like, this feels like such a dream that I remember seeing. Like, can you give us a little recap of what kind of people saw from your time on the show? Um, well, I think people were introduced to me on our one-on-one date mm-hmm. um, where we had all the kids at the park. Yes. And we had shut down some little rinky-dink San Diego yeah. <laughs> amusement park. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say there was rides, right? right. Yeah. And then we had the drum roll, please. Surprise concert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where I was like, okay, the day's over. And I genuinely believed the day was over. And I think even in the episode, he's like, I have one more surprise for you. And that's when it clicked. I'm like, oh, no. And they they aired me saying like, oh, no, yeah, no please, yeah. no. <laughs> and then they opened the door to like 400 people screaming your name. Which they must have told them in advance. <laughs> yeah, no, that is that is such a trippy thing too, right? Because like they don't know of you yet, and then there's people <laughs> screaming for we, you. We had had my first like group date was a public date where we did like our first with Megan Mullally and Nick yes. Offerman. Yes. Oh my god. Which I think I was the only person on that date that knew who either of those people were. No, wait, are you serious? Mm. That would have been. <laughs> I would have been like those. The two of them. 
are like, okay, this is this is where I'm uh, starstruck. It doesn't happen often, but like Karen from Will and Grace and 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 like Parks and Rec. Like, I mean, I that's big, big times. I was thrilled. But yeah, everyone else was standing there like, yay! They're like, who are these middle aged to older people? <laughs> um, so I had that. We had that first public date, and then I had a very public date in the middle of San Diego, and then 400 people singing along to the same song on repeat. (laughs) (laughs) And then I left uh, right before they left for Vietnam, so I left in Thailand. Why did you leave again? Um, For a lot of reasons, but mainly we were coming up on hometowns, and my family did not want me to be on this show whatsoever. Um just because they're incredibly private people. They live Mm. in Alaska and live their little life and thought, worst case scenario, how are you going to be portrayed? Because they've watched, well, my dad didn't watch it, but my mom had seen the show before. Um, And she was just scared. I think most parents would be. So for me to open up the world to seeing my parents and putting them in that situation, had they agreed, and we all know producers are very good at getting the families to agree most of the time, um, to expose them to something they didn't sign up for, it would have had to be someone that I felt I could actually have a relationship with outside of this. And I liked Colton, um, but I felt like I was more his confidant on this season than mm. a romantic relationship. Interesting. What so, do you mean by that? Yeah. Um, I, and I don't even know if he would feel this way, but it was something that we had like before our helicopter flight, we had like an hour waiting for everything to be set up where we kind of got an opportunity to talk off camera. And um, throughout our date with the kids, because it meant so much to me, having gone through stuff with my mm-hmm. sister and then him working with his charity and, and having a cousin that was ill, I think we bonded very quickly on an experience that seemed very outside of the show. Yes, it was over the top, right? Yeah. You don't go shut down amusement parks, but it allowed us to not really feel like we're on a romantic date. We both put ourselves aside a bit and just focused on these kids because their families were standing, you know, in the wings, if you want to call it that. And you could see how much joy it was bringing not only the kids, but their families to see these kids out of the hospital and Mm -hmm. acting like kids. And I think that's where I really started to like Colton was he, in that moment, didn't seem like a bachelor to me. He just seemed like a decent human that wanted to provide a really amazing day for these families. So um, after that, you know, some tequila shots, we made out a little bit. <laughs> but it just, to me, it felt like a a friendship mm-hmm. that we had connected on something that was personal, but, you know, not romantic. Did you feel like, did you feel like he was going to take you to top four? I wouldn't have been surprised if I went to hometowns. I remember watching it and us in our recap talking about I, it was like I remember from our perspective we were pretty locked in thinking that you were going to be in top four. I don't mean, know who was even in top four. Hannah G, Tasha, Cassie, and oh no, it wasn't Hannah. Yeah, Hannah, Hannah G, G, Cassie, Tasha, and then Kaylin. Yeah, yes, Kaylin. she went to yes. hometowns. Yes, she went yes, to hometowns. Yes. So I don't I don't know, and that might just be ego talking, but yeah. um, I think I was a safe bet that he could have eliminated after hometowns is kind of how I saw it. Mm, interesting. 
And I would imagine like, you know, you want to, even if like you're having stronger feelings towards a specific person, you want to have the person around who you feel comfortable talking to. Yeah. It's like, I always feel like that would be on the show. Something that I'm like, I would do if I was the lead, I'm bringing someone who I feel close to. And then after having the experience like you guys did, you know. Yeah. It was just a lot of off camera not romantic moments, but just times where I could see him not as the lead that made him more of a person to me. So it took him off the pedestal Mm -hmm. um, where I don't think I, I think it was kind of unfortunate because that world works a lot better when they are your sole focus, right? They're the only guy on the planet at that point. Um, And I just kind of saw him as a guy that he also had to be someone I would want to be with. Mm -hmm. And I started thinking about it a little bit more analytically than that world allows. Popping in for a quick chat, Broads, listen. If you have ever worn high-waisted denim, stiletto heels, corseted tops, or worst of all, a super constricting bra, then you understand when I say the levels of discomfort we put our bodies through for the sake of looking a certain way is absolutely ridiculous and at times even comical. Well, Third Love believes that your body deserves to be supremely comfortable always, which is why they're designing underwear, loungewear, and activewear that are made to make you feel that way. So I've been a huge fan of Third Love bras, and I have been for quite a while now. In fact, I've I've used them for all stages of pregnancy, nursing, and now motherhood. So they're equal parts sexy and comfortable, and believe it or not, It's the best bra shopping experience I've ever had, even though the whole thing is online. So Third Love's fitting room quiz is kind of like having your own personal shopper. You'll be asked questions to help determine the best fit and styles for you. And then Third Love will show you exactly what you're going to love. And Third Love even offers half cup bra sizes and loungewear sizes extra small through 3X. And I'm actually a half cup size. Okay, and if you're rolling your eyes thinking there is no way you're going to find a good-fitting bra online, first of all, you're wrong. I was truly baffled. Best experience I've ever had buying a bra, best-fitting bra ever via online with 3rd Love. Uh, But if you don't believe us, that's okay. 3rd Love is so confident you'll love their product, you'll get a 60-day exchange or return, no questions asked. Feeling is believing. Upgrade to everyday pieces that love your body as much as you do. And right now you can get 20% off your first order at thirdlove.com slash chatty. That's 20% off at thirdlove.com slash chatty. So I'm 99.99% sure that I'm perfectly happy with the size of my family, but you know what they say, never say never. So even though I think I know what my future looks like, I still do everything I can to stay informed about my reproductive health thanks to the help of Modern Fertility's at-home fertility test. Seriously, though, the phrase knowledge is power really applies when it comes to knowledge about your reproductive health. Because the more you know, the better equipped you are to make decisions for yourself and your family. And traditionally, getting this kind of information would mean going to your doctor and paying thousands of dollars. But now all it takes is a simple at-home test. With the quick prick of a finger, you can get access to the same information. Just mail back the test with the prepaid label, and within 10 days, you'll get your personalized results. And also, you don't have to leave your house at all for this. That's the biggest thing for me is not trying to find, you know, appointments and, and of course, paying so much more. 
You'll get insight into things like your hormone levels, how many eggs you have, and so many other important fertility factors. And if you want to go over your results after you get them, you'll get the chance to do that one-on-one with a fertility nurse while discussing your next steps and options. If you want kids someday, right now, or never, you need to be in the know about your reproductive rights and modern fertility can help. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash chatty. So that means your test will cost $139 instead of the several hundred or even a thousand plus dollars it could cost for the doctor's office. So get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash chatty. That's modernfertility.com slash chatty. The parents was a big part of it. Um... Because like I said, I didn't want to expose them to something they weren't even comfortable with me doing in the first place. But I would be lying to you if I said if I was really into him, I would have taken that chance. There just wasn't enough between us. When you left, did you feel like this was like the right call? No. No, not at all. Um, I was so confident the day I was leaving. I was handing out my clothes like I was having a garage sale in Thailand. (laughs) I was like, Tasha, this dress will look great on you. Here's oh some eyelashes, <laughs> Sydney. <laughs> what a gift. <laughs> You're one of the girls. You're like, thank you so much. My clothes are getting limited now. Yeah. It was so like that. It's, oh, yeah, yeah for it's sure. so like that on the show. And people, yeah, it's or, or when someone like someone didn't bring their suitcase and it was just kind of like no. Lord of the Flies where we're like, well, I mean, we would get it all back to her, but or like someone would, would let someone borrow their dress and then they would get sent home that night and then you have the dress and you're like, oh, I got to ship this back to Chelsea or whatever. Right. But. I'd be like, sorry, a snooze you yeah. <laughs> They're all getting put on. <laughs> no, I was so confident going into it, but that I think what ended up hitting me the hardest and you saw me boohooing my eyes out mm-hmm. when I left and going, I'm so stupid and being all down on myself. Um, I think... There was genuine surprise. Obviously, he had cameras in his room. He knew something was happening. But because I saw him as a friend, I felt like I had crushed his ego a little bit in this process, and I hated it. And then when he was saying things like, you know, I think we have this, when I was saying, like, I don't really see it, and Mm -hmm. he's going, no, but when it's us, it's just you and me, and and we have that. And I'm going, okay, maybe I'm reading this wrong. Right. Um. And like I said, hindsight's twenty twenty. I don't think he had romantic feelings for me mm-hmm. either. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt like I had surprised a friend and potentially ruined his kind of ego going through a process that obviously is really difficult. All the leads are in a difficult position. And then I was right because the girls started dropping like fly- flies after I left. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, it's so true. That's when all of a sudden he's like, you're gone. You're gone. Demi, you're gone. Well, <laughs> Everyone just started. three other girls self-eliminated on yeah. the season. Oh, my God. I also think closeness is probably com- a lot of times confused with romantic connection, mm-hmm. right? Like, if, you know, you're, especially in that process when you're being told all the time, like, these are women that you are auditioning for your wife. It's like, but I so I felt close to you. So what, aren't we... No, aren't we a thing? I just in real life wouldn't blindside a friend. And that's what Mm. I felt like I was doing. And like taking the rug out from them, even if I didn't think I was going to be the final pick, it still felt like I was shattering his confidence a bit going Mm -hmm. through this process. Was there any producer pushback? Like, was anyone trying to convince you to stay or not? No. I'm sure they were thrilled to see me leave. (laughs) (laughs) I, um, I was a tough cookie. What yeah. do you mean? Um, 
I didn't always play by the rules. I was really, I got pretty good at passing notes. <laughs> but because I was cast on a season of, quite frankly, like 22 and 23-year-olds at 31, it was incredibly hard not to want to be protective of them. And I don't think that producers are out to get everybody. That's not my role or my view of the show whatsoever. But there were certainly times where I would off mic, you know, stay up in my bathroom a little longer and pull one of the girls in and be like, do you really want to do this? Yeah. Do you oh, really okay. want to yeah, talk yeah, yeah. about this? Um, for instance, like with Kaylin, right. I knew she was going to share a story. It was something she had talked to me about and I panicked and I yeah, was like, yeah. Well, you're going to be known for this. The whole millions of people are going to see this. Are you comfortable with that after this show is over? It's something, mm -hmm. yes, you'd want to share in a relationship, but you have time off right, the right. show to share that. Right. right. Um, so I think they were all applauding when I left because I ended up trying to produce the show myself. <laughs> <laughs> so you're like, come here. Yeah. <laughs> Sliding notes under the doors. Oh, my God. I mean, that would be... In this situation, it'd be like, it would feel so impossible for me. It almost feels like prison at that point a little bit where I'm just like, to not to know that something was coming. Because I'd want people to protect me too. I mean, I'd want to be like, okay, I want to let you know about this happening because I want someone to give me a heads up if I'm about to get, you know, maybe share something that is producer motivated that maybe I don't want to ultimately. Yeah, I, I was a little too involved with the girls in the house. But what do you expect when you cast me on a show where everyone is 10 years younger than me? <laughs> this is true. This is true. Oh, my God. I remember that specific season. Then that was the narrative with the like cougars. the cougars. Yeah, oh, it was yeah. the cougars. And it was the, the Demi, the Demi Tracy big beef, which is so funny that they're like best friends now. Yeah. Now she's styling her all the time. Cracks me up. That is so funny. It's so good. It's so good. I wanted to ask you why or uh. Why did you go on the show? Like, were you a fan beforehand? Was it, did you think it was going to be Colton? I wanted it to be Jason, desperately. <laughs> now, Colton okay. is very fun to look at. Yeah. And I've told my dear friend Blake, if it was him, there wasn't a chance in hell I was showing up. Because <laughs> I did not want anything. I forget, Blake might have been cast for yeah. that Bachelor. That's who I thought they were going to cast. Oh, I was really hoping it was Jason because I thought why well, Colton, I really enjoyed watching him because mm -hmm. he just aesthetically looked like a lot of people I've dated in the past. Um, Jason, intellectually, I thought I would connect with him a lot more. Mm. Um, was I sad it was Colton? No. Yeah. <laughs> he is fun to kiss and fun to look at. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was a fan of the show. I'd watched it. But it was kind of serendipitous how it all happened. Mm -hmm. To this day, I don't know how I got on the show. I've asked even um, one of the casting producers when I went to an open call just to like be there mm -hmm. the year after I was on the show. Um, and she was like, oh, I'll look. I'm sure we have it in like your file. And I don't know. I got a call and I thought that I was being pranked. So I hung up. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? I'm confused. I got a phone call that said, hi, this is ABC. We're calling from The Bachelor, you know, the whole rigmarole. And I, I hung up. I thought it was one of my girlfriends because I have a close group of girlfriends and we have a history of, you know, pranking each other every once in a while. Wait, so did you audition for the show or put in a, a did someone submit you? I have no idea. So you just got a random call. Yeah. 
And it wasn't until they followed up with an email and I thought, well, none of my friends are rich enough to buy the domain at ABC.com or Disney or, <laughs> you know, whatever production company it is. to dive into the website to be like, are we sure this isn't a bug? Yeah, I, I did not believe that it was a thing. Wait, so what did the email say? Hi, we're following up again. <laughs> yeah. Like seeing if we, you're interested in being cast for the correct. show. Yep. And then... Um, it took about a month of kind of going back and forth in my own head of like, can I do this? And like I said, my parents really didn't want me to. Um, but I had this sense of, funny enough, I have a tattoo 31. My sister passed at 31. And I said, when I turn 31, I'm going to take a year and just say yes. They mm-hmm. called me like two weeks after I made that decision. So I went, Okay. I guess I'm saying yes to this crazy adventure, but I, I wish I had a better story. I don't know how I got on but the show. But then did you go through like producer interviews? Mm-hmm. Go, okay, yeah, okay. I went through okay, all okay. the regular process after the call. I just don't know how the call was initiated. The fact, yeah, that it wasn't like a like some sort of, I know that it happens with like a DM slide, like we'll yeah. reach out via Instagram, but the fact that they had your phone number and that's the way that they reached out, like that is so Or wild. even Wills got stopped on the street. Like he was like on a, on his lunch break. Someone was like, hey, do you want to be like on The Bachelor? Sure, that, like, that makes, makes sense. I'm seeing someone How, like in person. Yeah. Well, and I asked my girlfriends if they had nominated me. And then <laughs> my only only hunch is perhaps if it had turned out better, they might cop to it. But to this day, nobody <laughs> said that they nominated me. Did you have any coworkers? Me. Maybe like no, because at the time I was freelancing, so I worked by myself. The only other idea in my head is as a makeup artist. Maybe I worked with someone, yeah. unknowingly that had worked on The Bachelor. Mm. Um, but I, yeah, I have no idea. How that funny! It was so my wild. say yes year, and I said yes to the world's craziest blind date. <laughs> I mean. That in itself feels extremely serendipitous that you had the tattoo, that it happened to be on the, that year that you get a cold call from ABC <laughs> being like, interested. <laughs> like, no, yeah, thank and they you. knew your email, too. So that's weird. I don't have any clue. But I'm just not. I'm At this point, I'm not going to ask. It was supposed no, to happen. I, I went on it and I've made some great friends and hell you sure learn a lot about yourself so yeah you Mm. just said if it had gone better like maybe one of your friends would cop up to it what do you mean like if it had gone better like if i had been the final one they'd take credit and be like i (laughs) I did that for you (laughs) they'd be like i get to say like i set you two up in a roundabout right right at at, at the wedding just being like this was me surprise surprise yeah instead they saw me walk out in a white dress and tears and went don't don't tell her at all We'll see. Maybe someday if I do get married, one of them will be like, so. (laughs) So that one time. (laughs) So did you regret being on the show at all? No. At any point? No. Um, I don't think it'd be honest to say at any point. I think anytime you get off the show, you have this weird period before airs of anxiety, right? What's going to be shown? Mm -hmm. How how is it going to look? At that point, yeah, there might have been moments of regret, but overall, no. I always, I was, it's so funny that you were fully cold called because the reason I wanted to know, and we were talking about this earlier when the three of us were just inside the house, I was always curious because as far as like influencing goes, like, I'm just going to tell you from, again, someone who's never been compared to two girls who have, I go on the show, I'm, I'm going to get, I want to get famous 
And even though I'm not good at using an Instagram platform, this is why, like, I would go on for that reason purely. purely I think and anyone would be being dishonest if they said there that wasn't a factor in it. Okay. So I'm like, I'm going on. I'm like, I'm going to start making money. This is going to be the thing. And you almost out of Everyone, I think, Elise just doesn't seem, and even on the show, I remember then watching you on a first date with Colton. I'm like, someone, someone uh, signed her up for this. This feels very, this feels very Zach energy and Tasha season. Mm. Like, I, I, this feels very pure to me. So it all makes sense. Well, let's, I mean, you're giving me a little too much credit. I am a makeup artist. And when I got that call, I went, this could be great for my industry. And yeah. it was. No, no, I was saying for sure, for sure. But there's the <laughs> difference between like myself, who would be like, you know, if I would have been single at any point. You best believe I would have been camping outside the <laughs> offices where they were going to be doing in-person casting, being like, please get me on this show. Um, but then, yeah, afterwards, because there hadn't been like a ton of Instagram presence, I wasn't ever sure, too, if it was like, oh, maybe this was tough. No, I Any just don't of... know how interesting my life with my cat is all by herself in Scottsdale. Like, here's a palm tree. <laughs> yeah. Here's my cat doing cat things. <laughs> I do have to say the recaps, when you do the recaps on your uh, on your Instagram, they're very entertaining. Well, thank I appreciate you. it. <laughs> and I love when you and do you and Blake do some overlap. Yeah, how did you and Blake become friends? So when he was on Paradise, um, I did my normal thing of getting way too worried about people. And I sent him a DM. So, yes, I slid in Blake's DMs, um, but not in that manner. I was just like, are you OK? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and I said, if you need a sounding board. Yes, I know, Kaylin. I'm not here to talk about the situation, but just like mental health yeah, wise. Yeah, yeah. Are you OK? And our friendship kind of formed from there. And then we met um, on the Bachelor Live on stage thing that they did their uh -huh. very yes. first one was on valentine's day and blake and i were the guests in scottsdale so that was the first time we met and we hit it off like crazy and just became really close but i think it was because even though people saw us on stage we purposefully kept our friendship quiet for almost a full year so that we could have a friendship without mm. speculation and i felt like he was in such a place that he couldn't trust the people in this world anymore understandable um so it was a conscious effort on my point to like i'm not gonna like his pictures i'm not gonna do any of these things i don't want that internet speculation i just want us to be friends mm -hmm. and it worked out because now he's one of my best friends oh that's so cool he just from afar he's so fun blake will be coming on i believe next week or this week when this is dropping potentially yes well, we have already had it. No, no, no. We won't have already had him on. I was going to say. Have no, we? no. I don't think so. Um, but no, he's still doing things in tandem. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I'm like the timing of it. Um, no, but I mean, it makes sense because the second that I remember you guys were posting together, I remember seeing you post like 30 minutes later about the fact that you guys are not in a relationship because, of course, everyone assumes. Yeah, he flew down um, for Christmas. He had some event he had to do and he came um because I wasn't able to go home for Christmas and I was missing my family like we all were last year so he flew down a couple days early and I made him walk around town with <laughs> I don't know if y'all saw it but a sweatshirt of his infamous face going 
on Bachelor in Paradise. <laughs> and all I want for Christmas is a DM slide from you. And I made him go around town oh, wearing, my so wearing that, his little Christmas sweatshirt with his face <laughs> on it. And then, of course, you know, then people wanted to know. But no, we're just friends. Okay, broads, before we really get into this incredible conversation with Elise, we are so grateful for her. We're going to take one more quick pause. It's fall. Broads, you know Becca and I love fall, partially because it's all about getting back into the routine of things and fresh starts. And I don't know if you're like me, summer was mostly full of late nights, aka staying up until four in the morning, binge watching new TV shows or just stressing out. Just me? Well, uh, body wasn't happy about it. Sure wasn't. Uh, but that's okay. That's okay. Now I'm ready to reel it back in. Take care of me. And step one of that is getting my supplement routine back in order with care of. So what's really great about care of and something I've loved about using them for years now is they make it so freaking easy to take care of yourself. So literally the only thing you need to do is log on and take their five minute quiz, which It'll ask you all kinds of questions about your diet, your current lifestyle, your health concerns, your long-term health goals. And then Care-of takes your answers and creates a specially tailored program to meet your unique needs. And the daily supplements even come in little individual packets, which are great for travel or storing in your purse or car so you never forget to take them. And they're uh, compostable. And there's instructions on your website, on their website on how to compost them. I think by far the coolest part, though, is the transparency. I cannot begin to tell you all how many times I've wandered through vitamin stores, looking at bottles, wondering what the heck I was looking at and if any of it was any good. Care-of is so detailed in explaining what they're recommending to you and why they take away all the guessing games. For 50% off your first Care-of order, go to takecareof.com. Dot com and enter code chatty50. That's code chatty50 at takecareof.com for 50% off your first care of order. Broads, have you ever had a dream where you won something incredible, like a brand new car or doing karaoke with your favorite celebrity? Well, then I suggest you check out Omaze. Oh, Omaze is actually better than any normal sweepstakes, but because not only can you win some seriously spectacular prizes, but you also get to raise money for nonprofits at the same time. And these are not your standard sweepstakes prizes, okay? One of the prizes up for grabs is a Miami dream house right now. So here's how it works. Just go to omaze.com slash chatty and select whatever prize catches your eye. For me, it would be that Miami dream house. Then choose a donation amount from $10 to $150. And the more you donate, the more entries you'll get and the more chances you'll have to win, but you'll also be able to help some amazing organizations. Uh, so far, Omaze has been able to raise more than $150 million and support over 350 nonprofits around the world. Enter today for your chance to win the Miami Dream House or other life-changing prizes and experiences at omaze.com slash chatty. Plus, you can receive 20 extra entries when you enter code chatty. That's O-M-A-Z-E dot com slash chatty. I feel like in this space, I've seen a lot of moments where you seem to be um, a comforting presence for people in Bachelor Nation. I know um, in conversation, you know, speaking of Colton, when you went on um, Almost Famous and you had a conversation with Ben, like... That was a really powerful episode, um, not only because of your vulnerability, um, also educating, I think, 
on a topic that I know for myself, like I needed to hear aspects about that for sure. But then also you being there for Ben and having these, you know, being willing to have these conversations. And so you and I, we started like DMing just kind of like back and forth, like, hey, how are you doing? Like when certain dramas would arise mm-hmm. in, in in Bachelor Nation. So you've been that for me at certain times um, when I'm like, I don't know what's quite going on. And um, one of the things that you and I had spoken about was talking about the topic of grief. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know, you know, you made mention about your family being private um, and then 31 being uh, the year of your sister's passing. And throughout like our time, um, on chatty broads we've had a lot of people reach out about wanting to talk about the subject of grief and becca's been you've been really vulnerable about that and i don't know i just wanted to when we were chatting a while ago uh and you were so graciously willing to come on and and kind of get into that conversation i was very grateful because um yeah i think it's not something that we've really gone into super heavily on this which obviously affects everyone Everyone. yeah Yeah. um and i appreciate having the opportunity to talk about it because i think it's one of those things that it's a part of life yet it is so uncomfortable Mm -hmm. in our culture at least other cultures talk about and even celebrate it um and we just don't (laughs) Mm -hmm. because we never know what to say so to have a space just to be honest about how badly i failed at the grief process um, and the mistakes I've learned along the way, but also the beauty that can come through losing someone that you love and the lessons that I've learned and the changes it has made in my life have been instrumental. I mean, I don't say this lightly. Um, You brought up Ben's podcast and I talked pretty briefly about my experience of an abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. But when I say that, through my sister's passing, she saved my life. I do not mean that in a very like frivolous way. If I had stayed in that relationship that was at the time emotionally and borderline physically abusive, um, seeing what happened after I left and how things escalated, there's no doubt in my mind had I stayed in that relationship that one or both of us would have ended up hurt or worse. Um, and if I'm being really candid, uh, my sense of self would have been broken enough that I don't know if I would have recovered from it. Mm. Um, So through watching my sister get sick and watching her husband take care of her and watching how my dad interacted with my mom and just as a presence for our family as a whole, um, the night that she was diagnosed, we were all kind of waiting by our phones. And my fiancé at the time because the attention wasn't on him, and Lord knows the attention needed to be on him, um, he caused a big argument, caused a scene, and, and wanted to go out and left me there to wait by the phone to find out if my pregnant sister had cancer or not. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of in that moment that it was the aha of this is unhealthy because you are so trained to believe that this is normal by mm-hmm. abusers. Um, or that you deserve this, or whatever the narrative is, um, that it was seeing such beautiful examples of partnership in such a tangible way 
that I realized I'd never want to experience life where if I'm facing something like this, I'm alone. Mm -hmm. And it was the catalyst to end that relationship. And then through her passing, it was the same thing of watching these beautiful examples of showing up for your partner, but just unquestionably being there. There was not a hesitation or a complaint. And that's what I think we're all hoping for but get often distracted by the, you know, especially in their 20s, the shiny or bad boys or whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, so there has been really beautiful moments that have come from grief because I don't think I would be here to sit and talk with you guys if I had not had her example, my father's example of that it was time to leave mm. that relationship. Yeah, I, I've always, it's always been interesting to me when you're talking about kind of like our culture and how we don't allow for grief. And, you know, Becca, you've brought this up uh, on numerous occasions about how grief is not linear and like our culture seems to force it to be that way. Um. You mentioned that you felt like you made some mistakes in the grief process. Are you comfortable sharing oh, those? Oh, absolutely. I I think our culture has this idea that you are supposed to pull yourself up from the bootstraps and keep going at all costs, right? Those messages are everywhere. I mean, remember those keep on keeping on t-shirts? <laughs> well, I, I prided myself and would tell people I did the right thing. I took a week off. I was selfish. I called it my selfish week. My sister died two days prior. I'd been with her for the two or three weeks prior to that, leading up to her passing. And I thought it was selfish to take just one week of rest. Mm. One week for however old I was at the time, 24 years of knowing a person. And that was all I allowed myself. But I actually took pride in the fact that I took time. Everyone right, else went right. back to work. I took time to be selfish and lay in bed. A week? And I think that we also have this idea that we have to be so independent when yet humans by nature are created to be these social creatures. Mm -hmm. We lean on each other, but yet in, at least in our culture in grief, you're often left to do it alone. Mm -hmm. And there's even, I've felt personally, and I don't know about you, but I felt shame if it wasn't done in a certain timeline. If a year later I cried because the smell reminded me of her, which, man, smells, those will do yeah. it to you. Yeah. Um, if I broke down, I didn't feel like I could share that with everyone because I felt, even if this is not how other people felt, I've portrayed it to be I should be done with this step by now because whoever made up that five-step thing, that's bullshit. Yes, there's five stages to grief, but you're going to go back to step one and then to step four mm -hmm. and then to back to one. For years, mm -hmm. grief, like you said, is nonlinear. It's a constant, I don't want to call it a constant battle, but it's just a tricky little bastard that sneaks up on you when you think you're doing great. Um, but I think we live in a space that just does not allow for a community to come in and like support people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's really scary and unapproachable. And I also think there's a lot of like misconceptions about what grief is. And I think fortunately and sometimes unfortunately not everyone 
I don't know, maybe I think of it differently than other people, but grief is like a very particular thing. You know, it's like not a depressive period. It's not like, it's like, fortunately not everyone I think does experience grief in their lifetime. Um, and it can be very confusing for people, especially if, um, you know, when you're talking about not fitting the timeline, also not fitting the narrative. Like I was literally just talking to someone about this yesterday about how I remember my family and I like laughing, you know, or joking the day that like the thing happened that night and like how I, I just brought it up yesterday to someone. I don't know if you guys remember the Sandy Hook shooting. Mm hmm. And how people thought that they're, the one guy was a crisis actor, right. the one parent. And one of the main pieces of evidence was that there was a video of him where he was smiling and chatting with someone. And then he turned and people were like, it was like a switch. It was like he was acting. All of a sudden he switched to being sad. And I was like, well, then you probably just don't know what it fucking feels like, actually. And lucky for you, you don't know what it's like, you know, to be in grief. Because if you've actually been in a situation where you're grieving, you can actually be like really happy and elated like mm -hmm. one moment. And really, you can even be like thinking about that person that you lost and you can be like really happy and be enjoying that moment. And within the exact same experience, you can be hit like a ton of bricks. And I totally agree with the timeline thing where, what year did your sister pass? 2013. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So um, my family member passed in 2012 and now 10, almost 10 years later, I even have recently had where I've been in uh, like a family event and something during that family event has has sort of triggered me and where I want to like break down and sob in mm -hmm. that minute. And I'm even embarrassed around my family who has experienced the exact same loss that I have. And yet I'm mm -hmm. still like, also sometimes you just don't want to go there. Right. It has nothing to do with the people <laughs> around you. You're just like, I want to fucking enjoy my, this party right now. I don't want to cry and be held right now. No, you know? and I get it to make you feel less weird. My sister, my other sister, and I drank wine when we got home and we laughed our asses off talking about childhood memories. Mm. And I won't speak for her, but for myself, I don't know if the grief part had started or if the relief of watching someone mm. who was sick mm. went. And so in that moment, I could laugh and talk about I mean, plus, we were real tired. We'd been up a lot of oh, hours. Yeah. <laughs> and you're so emotionally exhausted where yeah. <laughs> you're like on emotional fumes too. Like. Yeah. And, and so we did. We laughed. And I would say that night was beautiful in the sense that we were actually celebrating. And the next morning we needed to go into work mode. We couldn't mm -hmm. grieve yet. We needed to put together, you know, do all the stuff that you got to do. people. Mm -hmm. like, yeah. Um, but I think that to go back to like the isolating feeling of grief um, is people don't talk about what to expect very often mm -hmm. or how to even approach other people that are grieving. And I know from my experience, I talked about the, mis you know, hinted at some of the mistakes I made. I coped and mm -hmm. I didn't realize till later now through like therapy and stuff that I was coming off of an abusive relationship and then two years later losing my sister. I hadn't dealt with one trauma and another one came right down that, you know, pipeline, which is how life works, right? Um, and I was coping. Did I ever have like a drinking problem? Hell yeah. I can say it. Was I ever an addict? No. But did I drink more often just to get by? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it all came to a head when I made a horrible decision to get behind the wheel of a vehicle when I am adamant that no one ever drives drunk. 
and to sit in a cell, and this was kind of my moment of realization. I'd never been in trouble before. I cry when I go to the principal's office. <laughs> um, but to sit in that cell and go, I'm so hurting right now that I was willing to do something that would cause another family potentially to experience what I'm feeling. Mm. How how disgusting is that? And then a few days later, the forgiveness for myself came because I went, okay, there's something deeper going on here because if I'm acting in a way that is so against just my moral code, then what am I trying to run away from? Mm. Um, and that's when the real grieving began. When I put down coping mechanisms, when I started talking to people that had experienced the same thing, when I admitted even the things that through grief aren't fun to admit, like there's times that I was pissed at my sister for dying. That's not a fun thing to say. Because mm -hmm. right, we romanticize the people after they're gone and it's not fun to to express feelings that don't fit the idea of what we think grief should look like, mm -hmm. where you just are sad or have these happy memories. The truth is there's a whole plethora of feelings that feel un very uncomfortable to feel, but I couldn't run from them anymore. Mm -hmm. This mm -hmm. wasn't, my sister didn't do anything wrong, right? She had cancer. But that didn't take the anger away of wanting to call my sister if, you know, I had boy troubles and I couldn't do it anymore. I was pissed. And instead of reaching out, like I hope people do, to a therapist or group therapy or just to a friend that's gone through the same thing, I hid. I hid from all of it. But yet on the outside, people would have thought I probably was doing pretty great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I... I know personally for myself, you know, it's interesting when you're talking about like this dynamic of like grief being something that is different from depression, from heartache and all that. And um, I've never like I've experienced the loss of a loved one, but it hasn't come other than, you know, old age and it wasn't something surprising. So there was like there was a certain level of grief, but not, I believe, you know, not to diminish anyone's pain, but the type of grief that you guys both have experienced. Um, and I remember I used to, Evan and I used to like sing because we were working in a church for a while and we would sing at funerals. And I remember um, we'd be like in the green room in the back waiting to go up and there would be the fa the whole family would come and they'd sit in the back room with us. And for a while we were doing this like every other week. Um, Jesus, a lot. They, it got to a point where it was like, I'm like, I can't. I need to like take a step away. But it was so, you know, I don't didn't have a lot of friends even personally who had experienced like that level mm -hmm. of grief. So for me, it was so interesting to be in a room with people and see every single member of the family handling it completely differently. Totally, mm -hmm. it was even though they're experiencing the loss of the same person. Exactly, and. Like what you were saying where it's like people are saying, oh, things, you know, you turn it on, you turn it off. Like as someone who hadn't personally experienced that level of grief before that, I would have felt, you know, similarly when you don't know, you're kind of like, well, they seem fine. And, and mm -hmm. you know, why are you able to all of a sudden laugh after, you know, whatever. But I remember watching everyone in the room and you'd have a mother who's uh smiling and making sure everyone's doing well mm -hmm. and like engaging with me, even though she doesn't know me. I'm just like a hired, you know, whoever. 
and then uh, a brother who was angry, someone who was bawling, someone who was acting like nothing was going on. I mean, it was just, it was just like such a testament to the fact that it's just, it's such an active moving thing that is so different for everyone. Um, I know for myself, because I hadn't experienced it, I can get uncomfortable with knowing how to be someone supporting someone else who's grieving um i'm curious like are there any like suggestions as people who have gone through that type of grief i never know if it's you know you're like i don't want to bother but i also don't want to yeah well i I have one in particular and this is what my mom always said Almost anything is better than nothing. Mm -hmm. And there will always be people who will, yeah, I don't know if they're thinking like, oh, I don't want to bother or, you know, I'm unsure how to approach the situation. But unfortunately, like, I remember some of my family members like lost relationships with people because they were people who had been in our lives for years who didn't say anything, Mm -hmm. you know? who didn't even like, not even like a text or a call. It was just kind of like, oh, I'll wait till like this, you know, passes over. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's like, no, dude, you need it. Even if it's just like, I am here for you. I can't imagine what you're going through. I love you so much. Like that is so much better than silence, Mm -hmm. you know? And I would say more often than not, though, if people are reaching out, the mistake that sometimes made is just saying like way too damn much when all you have to say is like, I love you. Not like, oh, I remember when my grandma died or like whatever, yeah. you know, it's like, okay, just say I love you and you're, uh, you're here for me. the cliches and platitudes. I remember I lost my cool on someone because they did that. If any, everything has a purpose and a oh, reason. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, art lady, <laughs> excuse me. Um, please tell me what that reason is. Yeah. I would love to know it. And, you know, the face goes blank. So, like, oh, I didn't have a follow-up. I didn't read the inside of the homework card. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, I think the best advice I can give is be honest. If you don't know what to say because you haven't experienced it, just create a safe space to say, listen, I don't know what you need right now. I don't know how to help you through this. I've mm-hmm. never gone through this myself. But I'm here in whatever capacity you need me to be whenever you need me to be. I love you. That's yeah. enough. Mm-hmm. I think people want to fill empty space with words a lot of times when there's silence and sometimes all someone needs is to sit in silence with somebody mm-hmm. and just feel like they're not alone in it and that might be your purpose but we all have different relationships that we need you know different things from different people and just ask what is it that you what role do you need me in this moment for you mm-hmm. and, and they can answer they mm-hmm. might say, make me dinner, or they might say, get me in a shower because I haven't been able to bathe today. Mm-hmm. Force me to, you know, answer a call. Help me write thank you notes. Let them tell you what they need. And then check in again if you don't hear from them. I also think like some of the most cliche things, like just sending someone flowers or texting them, like, hey, do you need a meal this evening? I would love to drive one over. Like, those are very, like, cliche gestures, but for a reason. I think that they are a very quiet way of showing, demonstrating to someone that 
you're showing up for them, you know, mm-hmm. even if you're because there are a lot of relationships where you're not going to be there in their house, like right, holding them sure, or sure. whatever. But even just from afar, just some, you know, and a quiet acknowledgement of I see you, whether through meal or flowers or a card, a, a thoughtful handwritten note dropped off. Well, I know. I mean, I was in Alaska, so it's a little bit isolated. But um, if you're in a more urban area, even just not even reach out to the person who's experiencing right away but if you have mutual friends do some planning so that they don't have to get like uber eats gift cards or something where they don't have to think of the mundane tasks that might seem absolutely crippling right afterwards so like you said it can be a small gesture that means a lot um but if you are really close to someone silence is is not an option if you want to maintain that friendship at least in my opinion yes Mm -hmm. absolutely what are your thoughts like um you know when you're having an interaction like i this is probably coming this is these are very like personal like help me questions because i have really i've always really struggled with in situations where it's like i want the person to know that i'm there and we're like face to face. Mm. And that's this that's my own. I mean, at the end of the day, it's my own selfishness because like I'm like, mm. I feel uncomfortable that you're uncomfortable. Mm. And it makes and even though I love you, like I still I feel I don't like the feeling that I can't control this discomfort or this, you this can't tension. Fix it. Right, right. Um so like I'm thinking, you know, like when it's it's like in person, face to face, like again, it's personally for me, like at someone's funeral or something, like I'm always, yeah, I just wonder and I'm always kind of at a loss knowing what to say. Like, you know, I I guess, you know, you said it where it's like, can I, I'm, you said it's simple. Is there anything that I can, or it's simple. I'm sorry. Is there anything that I can, I can do for you? I also know some people hate, I'm sorry. I have a friend in particular where she, when she talks about her sister passing she's like, I don't want to hear your fucking uh condolences you know like it's she's like it's so triggering for me um I don't think that can always be avoided but I think even just something very personal to that person especially if you knew the person that they lost I don't know Mm -hmm. how you feel about this but something that always meant the world to me is someone sharing a simple memory of that person be like you know what I will never forget when Mm. this person did this for me or like the way that they smiled when they walked all of like I feel like when you lose someone or at least how I felt and I know how a lot of my family felt is like you want to be like you want to feel like they're still there Mm -hmm. even years later even 10 15 20 years later you want to feel like because as time passes memories are fading and you're you're when that person felt so tangible right after you lose them where you feel like they could call your phone at any minute that is so like fresh which in some ways right after you've lost someone it's sometimes doesn't hurt that much because it's very surreal, especially if it's sudden. You're like, oh, I'm waiting for them to text me. I'll see them next. I'll see them for Christmas. Like you're sort of in this like la la land, especially with a sudden loss. And so years down the road, you want to feel as your memories are fading and slipping and this tangible sense of them seems to be getting more and more distant. You want to feel like other people aren't forgetting them. I feel Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. for someone to show that they're not forgetting that person you love is really really meaningful yeah for me but if you don't know them i think even just something personal to them of like even encouragement to that person like i love you so much and i want you to know how much you mean in my life because x Mm -hmm. doesn't even have to be Mm -hmm. about their grief it can be about how much you love them that person that's right in front of you yeah i don't know how do you feel about that 
Again, it's just so tricky because everyone, like you said, your friend was upset if people said sorry because maybe she took it as like pity and sympathy or like I got mad when people said I understand and I'd go, oh, oh, you do? And maybe they actually did, but I didn't, I just couldn't comprehend that anyone could understand what I was feeling. Um, So I think it's going to be nuanced to that person, but here's the thing. Just do something. I'd rather be, at least for me, I'd rather know you care and be a little piffed about how you said something than you say nothing at all. Yeah, that's not going to stick with you in the long run, no. right? Even if says something, someone says something wrong, you're not going to hold that against them five years ago. No. You may if they never said anything at all and never showed up. Yep, absolutely. That makes, that makes perfect sense. I guess like seeing these like behind the scenes funeral situations for a long time like I would just see a lot of people come in and it was always because it was under like you know the church it would the people would come in and it would always be like this is part of God's plan oh (laughs) this is part of God's plan or or and and that would just be like mind-boggling being like how but but I know it's just a lot of training from people this is Mm -hmm. like what they feel like they should say um, also some of it is helpful in the moment when someone's like you'll see them again and in that moment when you're so like uh, right all over the place you're like yes <laughs> thank you right right and it would be and I would see it would look different for different people like sometimes someone would say that and it would really connect with someone and sometimes you could just see like the rage like <laughs> yeah. boiling up <laughs> yeah yeah and and then also even just people saying you'd watch person come in after person after person it would just be like i'm praying for you i'm praying for you i'm praying for you and maybe this is my pessimist speaking but i remember kind of watching and being like what's that what does that do for the person Mm. but i suppose for some people it it is a connection Mm -hmm. for me i'm going praying to like what so for me that would have been like well do something or tell me that you love me don't just say you're praying for me like grieve with me i don't know I think someone's saying, though, I've really been thinking of you and like you've been on my mind, which is maybe the non-religious version of that, is a kind, neutral thing to say if you have nothing else. I've been, you've been on my mind. Yeah. You know, like I've been thinking of you. No, and that, that again, this is, it's a personal thing probably where it's like, if I heard that, I'd be like, I, you know, I'd appreciate that. But the prayer thing and I'm just like, are you really? Well, Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I, there's some people who say that and they mean it, and you're like, "Thank you." And then there's other people who are like, "You're not you're fucking like, praying for me. Yeah, Shut up." Yeah, this is the first time you thought of me in the past week. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Fuck off. Exactly. It's like a greeting, like it's like a goodbye. Yeah. You yes. know. And I think there's just there's no perfect right answer. It's not fill in the blank here. You have mm-hmm. to figure out what your relationship is, either to the person that's grieving or to the person that has been, like you said, who who has passed away, and adjust accordingly. Also, keep showing up. So you might have the one thing and you might say the wrong thing. Well, guess what? Three weeks later, no one's going to be fucking checking in on you. So um, two months later, three months later, 10 months later. And they say sometimes that loss, especially like quicker loss, it doesn't set in until 10 to 15 months later is like the estimate. Yep. And that's when it becomes real, when you realize they're not going to call and they're not going to be at your... Mm -hmm you know, holidays or whatever. And that's when everyone's kind of like, yeah, they passed away a year ago. It's like, yeah. It's and people expect yeah. you to, that's that timeline thing. And people, <laughs> have, they're like, okay, well, she's grieved. She's, you know, she's good. And I tell you, holidays are a sad time for a lot of people. And yeah. a lot of that has to do with loss. 
um, because those are, you know, childhood memories for a lot of people and that person is noticeably absent. So like you said, that after a year, for at least for me, it was about two years where I went, oh shit, this is real. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't live at home, she wasn't a constant presence that I saw all the time. Yeah. I mean, I lived in North Dakota at the time. She was up in Alaska. So I didn't feel her physical absence. Yep. But it was, why aren't I getting a birthday call? Mm -hmm. And like like I said, getting mad. Like, Sarah, you didn't (laughs) call me. I wrote her a text. I think it was a year later. Like, thanks for the phone call. Oh, you know, after you push send and then it hits you. So it it's a wild it's a wild ride, but there's a lot of I don't know if your experience, but um, I know you both talked in the past about growing up in a church mm-hmm. situation, as did I. But um, it was kind of at that point where, like I said, I knew I needed to make some changes in how I was handling grief, and I don't like to put like a little rubber bow on or rubber. Who is a rubber bow? <laughs> <laughs> don't kink shame. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, you know, a ribbon on everything and make it like shiny and comfortable for everyone. That's why I wanted to be honest about like, hey, I made a lot of mistakes mm-hmm. along the way. But I was sitting in a church service after I'd moved to Scottsdale and kind of sorted out and faced, you know, my grief and some of the stuff from my past in a little bit healthier way. And a pastor shared a story that still kind of resonates me- with me um, where he was talking about he had, you know, he was a soccer star. And he was all set to get this scholarship to go on to play college. And right as the recruiter was coming, he had a a blowout of his knee. He could never play again to the level that he wanted to. And in that moment, all of his dreams and hopes for the future were changed. And he really questioned, like, why did this happen to me? And whether you're religious or not, you know, the why God, you know, Mm -hmm. why this? And it wasn't until his daughter had almost identical injury where he could actually sit with her and say, I actually understand you, that it gave that pain purpose. So I never have asked, why did my sister die? Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to my family? It's what beauty can come from this? Like, what? how can I take this pain and turn it into service in some way? Um, her staff did a beautiful thing with the charity, but for me— it's given me an opportunity, and I mean, one of the biggest, and this sounds so cliche, but one of the biggest blessings in my life is I know that if I become a mother, I can be that for my child if they experience loss. Mm. Or I had a friend whose mother had a very similar cancer, and she invited me to be there through the passing to kind of walk her through it. I mean, that's a huge honor to be a part of someone's actual death experience mm-hmm. um, and in the room and things like that. So there's comfort that like your pain can bring to other people if you're willing to talk about it Mm. because there's not many times that you can sit with someone and just be seen so clearly of what's going on with how they're feeling inside until you experience it yourself Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think you're also a testament to yourself that like I can I survived you know I made it through that and it's a uh sometimes a little disquieting because there's a knowledge that you might go through that kind of pain again. But then there also is like, well, if I go through that again, I know, you know, God forbid, if I lose my child, my partner, my anyone in my life, I do know I'll make it and that there will be like a day that I will feel okay. Even if it's few and far between, you know that. 
you'll get there. Gonna make it through. It's like your first heartbreak. Yeah, yeah, no yeah. No one yeah. thinks yeah, they yeah. survived their like junior high school. Yeah. You know, first love. Oh, if you want to yeah, call it no. love? Yeah, you are like. I'll it's never love again. No, yeah. <laughs> you talked about the before I'll episodes. Never I'll never love, love again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then with each heartbreak, you go, eh, I'll be fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm going to hurt for a little bit, but I'll get through this. And I think it's unfortunately the same way because loss is just part of life, circle of life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would really just encourage people to talk about it more, even though it's uncomfortable. And don't. Keep people around you that can, yes, support you, but also hold you accountable when you're not dealing with it in very healthy ways. I know Mm -hmm. our family kind of had an open discussion of like a, hey, the next day, if I see you slipping, I'm on your door. Now, it's a little harder for them to see me slipping because I was in North Dakota. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But have people that hold you accountable if you are falling into, there's a difference between grief and unhealthy coping skills, and there's also unhealthy grief that manifests itself in a lot of different ways. If you're not able to get out of bed for the first few weeks, sure. If that's carrying on to a point where you're losing work or things like that, you need someone to tell you, all right, we need to get you some help if you can't ask for it for yourself. Um, But I just want people to be more of a, maybe it's wishful thinking, but we are built to be a tribe (laughs) and lean on each other. And this is the one part of life that I think our culture gets horribly wrong. I think also because we, uh, you know, while it is one of the worst experiences in life, it also is a very human experience. And I think in our culture, in so many aspects of our culture, pain is a really, really bad of thing we should avoid all the time in the United States. Pain is really, really bad. Discomfort is really, really bad. You don't want to feel those things, Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. And whether that's medication or coping mechanisms or ignoring things altogether, um, we are not a culture that likes feeling unpleasant things. Avoid at all costs. And I don't think we like facing our own mortality. No, no, no. no. And that's, I think, a big part of grief is we are so disconnected from death. Mm -hmm. We are really disconnected from... uh, birth and death in our culture i believe mm-hmm. we are really we'd really try to put both those things the entrance and exit of life behind yeah. curtains yeah everything literally is behind, literally, yeah. <laughs> literally behind no curtains. truly like like you were saying just like in in whether it be like a community or tribal or whatever it is all happening right there Mm-hmm. You're all living in community together, so you are seeing birth, you are seeing death, and when you're hiding them behind closed doors in the society, it's like I in, in back and I've been talking about it on the podcast. I've been having like massive anxiety recently about the idea that one day my life will end, mm-hmm. and I think it's truly because, and I was thinking, and we were talking about this a little bit, that it has been something that I have and everyone around me like just been. You don't you don't face the reality of it at all. It's like it will never happen. It is never discussed. Mm-hmm. The second someone in your family says, oh, I want to talk to you about something with my will. The other person goes, don't talk about that. Oh, don't hell. talk about yeah. that. Yeah. And it's just it's all shut down. My grandma, who's now, you know, I think 93 or 94. And she's 93 or 94. Mm-hmm. Like time, the time is coming and she wants to talk about leaving us Mm -hmm. she wants to talk about it everyone in the family 
oh no no can't handle it and i'm like but nana wants to talk about this it's part of her life experience right now but no one wants to talk about it with her no or you'll even have older family members who are ready to die and everyone else are keeping them on all the medications Mm -hmm. and shit to keep them alive when they're like please just let me go like i did it i'm done and we don't want to let go we also don't want to like i just think it trickles down too, where when someone gets old and they can't take care of themselves granted we live in a certain kind of capitalistic society where we don't have all have the privilege of being able to take care of people but in so many other cultures your parent is going to live with you until the day they die and that means being confronted with death Mm -hmm. the the sense and sights and icky parts of someone's body decomposing while they're still alive Mm -hmm. and that is not something we deal with in our culture and also even um, dead bodies, like in lots of other cultures, they the body will be in the house for three days. In the United States, the minute someone dies, call the ambulance right now. Their body is decomposing. Their body is going to start smelling like we're so crazy about it because we just like don't want to deal with like any of it. It's like Mm-mm. also we're taught that it's just like so scary and so yeah. gross and, and all it- those things. It doesn't have to be, though. No. Because it's just a fact. Mm-hmm. You're going to die. Whatever religious affiliation you have or spiritual affiliation, you're, that goes on afterwards or whatever you believe. Or you poof and you're gone. I don't care. But your physical body will die. I'm getting enough wrinkles. I know that I'm on the, <laughs> I'm going that way. Except for the Botox. But yeah. <laughs> I was just like, I'm, I'm cheating death with like, every injection. I another way that I'm avoiding it. I'm just yeah. like, fill her up, baby. <laughs> well, the, the booty's gone a little south too. So <laughs> things are moving in that department. But I mean, we are dying. All yeah. of us in this room, all of us on this planet are dying. Mm-hmm. But yet we can't talk about it. But how do you start those conversations? In our family, I'll be honest, after my sister passed, it made it a lot more, a lot easier to have those conversations. When I was home in the summer, my dad's like, okay, well, when I go, I'm I'm thinking about this. What do you think about this idea? And I'm sitting there going, well, I don't really want to think about you passing away, but you're going to. And if it's on the normal timeline, it will probably be when I'm still here. Mm -hmm. So... I'm going to sit in this and be uncomfortable and tell me what you want. Um, but I think because we were privileged, privileged enough to have a significant amount of time with my sister before she passed away yeah. through that process, that those conversations started then mm. um, while she was still alive. And now it's easy to replicate those. But we don't get that in normal day and day life here. Nobody talks about it. I also think it's hard to prepare for grief because it looks so different in every person, too. Oh, right? I don't think like, you can prepare for grief. No. Like, I don't know what someone, I guess someone could say expect, like, the unexpected and allow yourself to just go with how you're feeling and I think let that it, happen. there's a, a lot of patience that you need to have for yourself and forgiveness that you have to have for yourself um, through grief. And that's the only certainty that you have is that it's going to not look the same day to day that it will most likely sneak up on you at the most inopportune times maybe you're shopping at home goods and start bawling in the aisle mm-hmm. it's fine <laughs> exit gracefully <laughs> just just a random example yeah. <laughs> hasn't happened to me when i was smelling a cinnamon candle <laughs> um but it sneaks up on you i know for a fact that if i ever get married yeah. i'm going to have to do some of that grieving process again because there will be somebody missing from how I pictured that experience to be. It's okay, 
but I have to allow myself the patience and forgiveness to say, like, I need to sit in this for a minute. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to just be sad. You'll be okay the next day. Just sit in it. We're just mm-hmm. so uncomfortable. We don't like being sad. We don't like being even sad. even uh you know even my daughter Ruth she's like you know she's always like if I'm appearing sad she's like are you okay mommy and I'll be like no whatever I'm sad whatever and then she's like here mommy let me make you happy yeah. like do this you happy now are you happy now are you happy no. now and I'm like mm, you. Like I'm like you're so American when you're <laughs> no, but um, but you know that's kind of how we are like yeah. in our culture we're like but are you happy now? No, it's a full song and but dance you to try now? to like maybe you should take. Are you happy now? Are you mm-hmm. happy now? I, I I remember a friend was going through like a really serious loss, and I remember it was quite soon after. And granted, because we are in a society where we're expected to function in our jobs and school and whatever, regardless of what's going on some of the times, you do need like coping mechanisms Mm -hmm. to expedite the process. And sometimes like medication is really helpful and all that kind of thing. But I remember a friend who, you know, her doctor prescribed her antidepressants and I was like, dude. Yeah, you're supposed to be sad right now. Like, you know that, right? And I remember we had a conversation and she was like, oh, kind of, yeah. But she was like, I, but I, I feel so sad. I'm like, yeah, that's really normal. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't it be weird if you were happy right now and like feeling good? I mean, it would be okay if you were, but that's, this is like a, this is life. Like this is a part of life. And also I do believe that if you don't give yourself, like you're talking about a chance to really feel things that will come up. A year later, 10 years later, 20 years later, you will that it does that does not go away. You are yeah. not going to be do not think you will be able to escape grief. No, you, you know, <laughs> I mean, I told my I'll give this perspective. I called my dad um, and honestly, every member of my family before coming on to this to ask if there's anything they wouldn't be comfortable mm. with me talking about. Um, just because I think it is such a personal experience that some things have to remain, you know, absolutely private. Um, and my dad told me the next day, he goes, I had to pull over the side of the road and, and just got all that big old lump in my throat mm-hmm. eight years later, just by hearing you talk about it, mm-hmm. just simply going, Hey dad, is there anything you don't want to talk about? Mm-hmm. And he goes, it, it just never stops. Does it? I'm like, no, <laughs> but are you okay today? Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> He's mm-hmm. like, I just need 15 minutes. Now I'm back on the road. But it, it yeah, you can't just hide from it. Because it is like that. What movie were you talking about earlier? Purge? Yeah. <laughs> it'll find you. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Maybe it'll look a little different. but <sighs> and I know it's confusing for other people, too, because I don't know what your experience was. But for me, even in days after or, you know, even now, there are times where I can very matter-of-factly explain things to people. I remember being in school the week after and being, you know, it's just cut and dry here's what happened you know but maybe for you yeah my sister died of cancer and it's like sometimes you can say those things and it's just like i don't feel a thing in my body when i say that at all i'll be honest when i said the story on the show um when i was talking to colton that was such a rehearsed thing in my head Mm -hmm. because i'd explained it so many times this is the type of cancer she Mm -hmm. had she was pregnant this is what the doctors chose to do. Mm. She passed away two years later. Now we have a charity. It was, I could have done that 
you know, without even thinking about it because I had rehearsed it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, not to go on the show, but just in daily yeah. life. Yeah. Um, because it becomes part of your story as well. Um, but I get it when I can rattle off all the scientific parts of her passing, but yet a smell in home goods is going to break me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't like home goods all that much anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Too much damn cinnamon. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Ask your questions as, as uh, I like doing, you're doing your questions as the outsider. <laughs> as the person in. who doesn't, I mean, yeah, I, it's, I guess. And I also hope that doesn't sound like, oh, like not everyone goes through, you know, not everyone has this experience and like, oh, I've been through like so much no, harder when you, things. When you said that, it was actually, it, it's the way that you guys are both explaining it for me it was actually very like impactful because when I have like conversations with friends who have experienced the type of grief that you both have, there is this part of like, oh, I know I've experienced like a lot of loss and there's been a lot of different struggles in my life over certain, you know, personal things. We've talked about numerous of them on the podcast, but that's a different space. Yeah. It is a different space. Um, Again, not to like quantify different people's like grief, but I think that it is it is important, I think, in conversation to talk about because I think that there there should be also an understanding of everyone should be able to grieve in whatever experience they need but also an understanding truly from people who haven't been in that situation that there is a different level of empathy that needs to be mm. extended. Because I think especially in like in our current day and age, it's like get back to it, work like you were mm-hmm. saying, work right away. Or even if it's, if it's like two years later, no one's checking in. For people who haven't experienced that specific type of grief, I think there needs to be a check-in and going, okay, I know I've I've experienced forms of loss that have affected me, but I've never experienced this form. I need to be actively aware that when I'm having a conversation with like a dear friend of mine and there is something that comes up, maybe an argument or something that there needs to be grace extended. I remember our, our, uh, my next door neighbors, their mom had died of cancer. Um, throughout the she'd got cancer and died of cancer throughout the course of us living next door to each other and I remember like um thinking of it being like oh their mom died two years ago like I was granted I was a teenager too but still when I would hear other people be like oh you know my yeah my mom died of cancer two years ago or you know my little brother died seven years ago I'm kind of like eh kind of a long amount of time, right? Different than like five months ago. And then I think what's really unique about, um, about really like tragic loss. I don't know if that's the proper term because a lot of like expected, I don't Can I interrupt you just because I think that might be taken the wrong way because it's all tragic, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not the right word at all. We don't talk about death and all that stuff like we just talked about. However, there is conscious awareness of my parents' if the timeline goes right, are probably going to die before me. My grandparents are going to die before them. There's expected losses that somehow you're already a little bit prepared and emotionally ready for. Yeah. Right. um, To a certain degree. Yeah. Maybe like, yeah. Like some, some losses like more abnormal in circumstance. Unexpected. Unexpected. Yes. Okay. Because yeah, like I'm saying, I'm like, I've lost family members, but it was expected because they were very old and they got sick and it was 
extremely difficult and it's still, you know, it'll come up, but the unexpected piece um, is I think where then someone like myself or people who haven't experienced that there needs to be a different understanding of like, okay, I, I can't look at you and say, I understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, And I can't either. And that's the, that's the crazy thing about it too, is it's like, I don't even know if my, I I don't even know if I could, I don't even know if I could look at my sister and say like, I understand. Mm. Cause her experience was, you know, one of my family members, you know, is struggling from like PTSD from the experience, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't think I am. And we're so I don't understand what they what they I don't understand. But you can understand how that specific person was to you guys. Yes. In a family. I can understand. I how. can call my sister who grieved very differently mm-hmm. than I did. But we can both share in the fact that we knew our sister. We knew what kind of person she was. We can talk about that. We know the same loss. We just experience it in different ways. Maybe that's why it's so hard to hear someone say, I understand, like, like let's even just say, like, my sister died of cancer. And I said, I understand. That even still might be hard to hear, especially when something's fresh, because, like, you're saying, like, no, you don't understand because you didn't know my sister. Mm-hmm. You know? It's like, no, you don't understand because... My sister was my sister. Right, 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 and your right, experience right. was your experience, sure. Right. Grief is complicated, ladies. No, <laughs> but yeah, those year things. Oh, what I'm saying is, but then experiencing not something similar, but experiencing unexpected loss. I was like, oh, damn, like seven years, you know, seven years after my grandma passed, I still miss her. But seven years later, it 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 do not hit the same, well, the, you know? The trauma is quite different. And it's not only that, but I think when you have that conscious awareness of like we were talking about, your grandparents are probably going to go before you yeah. if things go into, you know, as we, there the order that we There is an evolutionary, evolutionary understanding of kind of what the order right. of things typically but is. But when you have a loss of someone that is tra- like sudden or they get sick and it doesn't follow that timeline, there's still points that, they're supposed to be there. They're part of a life you've imagined for yourself. As sisters, we, I'm, you know, I would expect that I would have kids if that was part of my plan. And they would have cousins and that would be part of their involvement. And she'd be a great aunt. And she's never going to have, I'm never going to have that moment with her. There's points of my life that there will be someone noticeably absent that I never thought I would have to go through. And that's the difference. I expect mm-hmm. that there will be parts of my life where my grandparents won't be there mm-hmm. or even my parents won't be there. But I never expected that she wouldn't be. And it and feels I think unfair. that's the difference. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like that was taken from me. Like I was supposed to have all this more time with this person. And that's always been something that's been difficult for me. It's like this is not fair. I, I was supposed to have you for so many more years. And oh, yeah. And yeah, and I'm not supposed to like outlive my sister in that capacity. Uh, you know, like I said, the 31 those tattoo. Those years, yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's where I think at least what's worked for me is not sitting in the why did this happen to me or why did this happen to her, but what can be done from this? Because there's just, I got a lot of years left with her or without her, excuse me, more than I probably had with her. 
And how long am I going to sit in the space of trying to figure out a question I'll never have the answer to? And also, like, I think that that might be hard for some people of, like, especially if it's a little fresher of, like, oh, yeah. I don't want to make meaning out of this. Mm-hmm. Hell no. And I wasn't, I'm, I am eight years removed. And this is the, how my brain is thinking now. I was not thinking these things when I was sitting in a jail cell <laughs> mm-hmm. and just trying to drink to not lash out on my friends who were doing everything right, but I just was angry at the time. So I was drinking to be a nice person mm-hmm. or at least a decent person. <laughs> um, a lot of good that did me. But no, this isn't a conversation of like, okay, the day after they pass, how are we going to find purpose through the rest of your life? No. But this is just where I'm personally am at now of I can't sit in that why because that why was not a space that was healthy for me. Yeah. And I, I, I was going to add on to that and say and also like how can I honor that person? Right. It's like what like. Like, how can I make them proud? Like and that's a very corny thing of like, oh, they're looking down above and watching me or whatever. But, you know, thinking about like what would they have been excited about me doing in life? And I think that that's a very comforting thing to think about. You guys, I'm not joking. This sounds so silly, but we could all use a laugh right now. My sister loved The Bachelor. So when I went on there, I was like, she would love this. Oh my God. Oh my God. She would be watching it and be posting yeah. all over Facebook. <laughs> she, you know, she would have loved it. She would have been so proud to be like, that's my sister. And like, she's on TV and her friends are like, oh, oh my yeah. God, your She sister. would have been calling me and being like, tell me what's happening next week so I can like, yeah. you know, have <laughs> all the tea about the behind and the scenes. And there is just stupid stuff that like makes you, you know, laugh about Sometimes it. Sometimes even if they're going to make you, if you'll, you'd make them mad. Sometimes I sit and <laughs> think I'm like, oh my God, my papa would have been so pissed about that. Like, that's so funny. <laughs> like he would have been, he would have hated that, you know. Oh, there was a time in my life where my sister, I was, I, I mean, she was right, but she, she minded her p's and q's pretty well. We all did to a certain degree in front of our parents, and she called me an asshole, and my parents didn't get mad at her, and it still to this day plays in my head when I do something wrong. Where she's like, "You're being an asshole." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh, you're right." <laughs> so yes, there is ways of living on. I mean, she has children, so that's yeah. you know a big part of our family is making sure that we keep those memories around for them or mm-hmm. talk about her. Um, but I don't have all the answers when it comes to grief. I can just say it does get better. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily easier, but better. Mm-hmm. Do you both feel like uh, after, like after the loss, do you feel like there's this? Did it shift your perspective on living like your own self? For me, no. Something I observed in my family was almost like a giving less of a shit, especially in the immediate years. Like, fuck it. I don't care what the fuck I eat. Like, I might get hit by a car tomorrow and not in like a good sense of like, yo, let's make the most of it. But I saw it even as just like morbid. Why the fuck does it matter? Like, Mm -hmm. why does any of this matter? Why am I doing this? You Mm -hmm. know, there Mm -hmm. was a lot of that feeling I think in the first few years especially Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't think I had that like existential like I'm gonna live every day right carpe the most and every life is gonna be or every day I'm gonna do something that you know she couldn't do no I mean maybe I thought that for like one day and then I got exhausted (laughs) (laughs) I went on a tv show that's enough yeah 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 (laughs) um but I think I'm more aware of death yeah, and a little bit more comfortable talking about it, um, at least in, amongst my family, because we witnessed it together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think I have had this, you know, not 
tattooing carpe diem on my forehead and going skydiving. I think sometimes it feels even more confusing. I think for like when, you know, older family members have passed, it's like that is death. And sometimes I even still think about my papa, who was my grandpa. He was 59 when he passed, though. And so there definitely was this sense of like, I thought you were going to be around for like the next 30 years. Mm -hmm, Like, mm -hmm. and, um, and I, I, it sort of feels confusing even now when I think about it is I'm like, wait, like, like he, he's gone and like all that, those are the only years that I got with him and like, I don't get any more and it's going to be like that with my other family members and it could even be like that tomorrow and that would be all the time I would get left with my mom or whoever. Like, mm-hmm. that's very, uh, that's like very difficult and it makes death sometimes feel much less clear. Mm-hmm. That is just my personal experience. I don't know what your experience is. Same, same, but different. Um, For instance, my mom is very religious. Mm -hmm. So I was almost jealous of her sense of certainty of exactly what was going to happen when she passed. Yeah. At a time where I was kind of figuring out outside of, you know, the religion I grew up in. But like, what do I believe? Yeah. Um, There was a jealousy there of a sense of like, for sure, I'm going to see my daughter in heaven. Mm. I can't. I mean, the, just the peace that comes with that of, of like, course. 100% faith of in knowing course. that. I was incredibly jealous. My dad's on the other side. So I saw him going, I have no idea what's going to happen, but hope I see her. Yeah. Um, but kind of allowing space for just, I don't have the answers. Mm-hmm. And it's confusing as all hell because it makes you think about it a heck of a lot more. But I don't know. I don't know what happens after this. Mm-hmm. But I'd love to, you know, I'd love if she came running up yeah. going, you asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about that dress you left. In. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is there something that you both feel like if yourself in that immediate moment of loss, if you could right now go back to that version of yourself? Like, what would be the one thing that you would would tell yourself? Oh, that one got me choked up. <laughs> to stop hiding. Because I think especially as women, we have a tendency to take care of mm-hmm. and put our needs aside. Um and I became a very good chameleon at even calling like the other family members and how are you doing and happy faces when I was drowning. So yeah, not to hide. I think I'd probably just tell myself to be kinder. I think in that, uh, I think. I don't know, the first like, ye- the first several months especially were really weird. And I was just like, and I was a teenager too, and I was 17 and my mom didn't care anymore where I was or what I was doing. So I was like, fuck yeah, like this is awesome. I'm gonna hang with my friends all the time and do whatever I want. Um, Cause I just didn't know what, I was like, I don't know what to, I don't know what else to do. Um, so I think I would just tell myself to be kinder to the people around me and not be a selfish little bitch and remember that everyone else is going through this, like not the same thing, going through the same shit 
and it's not just my little isolated island of experience, but that everyone was, you know, I would tell myself everyone around you is trying right now mm. and is like having a really hard time. So just like be nicer. Remember, you're not the only person experiencing this is probably what I would honestly tell myself. It might look different, but everyone's just like treading water. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. little ducks. Trying to survive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Under the surface, there's a lot of feet going, you know, pitter patter. Yeah. When you're trying to maintain face for the rest of the world. Totally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in honor of your sister, can we talk about her charity for a minute? Yeah. In like ways that people can maybe get involved and... I would love that. So it was something that we didn't find out. Um, this kind of came off a little differently on the show, so I just want to make it clear. I did not start it. My family did not start it. My sister um, worked in our local hospital in Alaska as a labor and delivery nurse. Mm-hmm. And when she got sick, people didn't know what to say, like we talked about here, mm-hmm. so they just gave. And she was in a financial sis- situation. She didn't need all of this stuff that was coming in. Um, So she started putting together these little packages and would put them in the janitor's closet. And then every time she had a baby that, you know, came in, she would send the mom home with a little gift. Oh, that's really sweet. And it wasn't, it was just really cool because it was something we found out after she had passed away. But as those little bags went away out of the janitor's closet, the other nursing staff, I think, wanted to step up and, and carry on that legacy for her. So it's called Sarah's Closet. And since um, it started, or I guess it really started with my sister, but um, since they've continued on, no child has gone home without something in the past eight years. Oh, my goodness. So whether it's, um, you know, a blanket or something, or if it's a mother in need that needs like a breast pump or whatever the case may be, like bigger ticket items, um, those are available. Um, So there can be donations of financial donations, but the biggest thing that they try to do is have something with like a personal touch so I know there was a lady that watched the show and knitted 50 little tiny little baby hats and sent them up there which is so so sweet really really sweet so of course financial uh, donations are great for larger ticket items that can't be gently used yeah I don't know we we know what we're talking about here (laughs) (laughs) certain sanitary products and things Um, but otherwise if you have a child that you're going to be giving away their baby clothes or blankets or anything of that nature. You have some artistic talent for crafting that I don't also possess. <laughs> um, they will help in making sure that those are given out to families in need. That That's is so cool. So cool. That is so cool. Thank you for coming on and Thanks talking and me. being like so willing to go there with us. And thank you for being vulnerable as well. Be like, you know, yeah, and I also want to apologize because sometimes I come off like like angry or kind of harsh about this kind of thing. But, you know, I think that's part of grief too is some some days I'm like, you know, I don't like that. I, you know, I don't like that I've had to have this experience and I wish that I didn't have experience to, to speak to on this, this conversation. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I'm happy to have the conversation. I just wish I didn't have to. (laughs) Or I didn't know how to. How about that? (laughs) Wish I didn't have the life experience. There will be no apologizing in this grief space. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Do you have any favorite resources, any books or anything that did help you along the way? You know, no. No. Therapy. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not comfortable in group therapy all that much. I've 
wasn't that it just wasn't for me. Um, but just therapy and having a space that I knew was not connected to my sister mm-hmm. where I could share some of those thoughts or feelings Difficult. that aren't pretty. Yeah. Um, like I said, being angry or things that if I expressed to my parents, I didn't want to cause them more concern or whatever the case may be. So to have, I mean, we all need therapy, but I think for me, it, it provided a really good resource to have a private space where I wasn't going to be judged for how I was experiencing grief mm-hmm. that day. Because, mm-hmm. Lord, it looks different day to day. Elise, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks. We so appreciate it. <laughs> Maybe next time you can come on the show and we can do a recap. I and, know. Yeah, and, let's break uh, down the ma- bad makeup looks for next <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Let's do it. We, we should do a fat. Oh, my gosh. I was going to say, we did recently do a fashion episode. And we had a lot of fun with that. Do you so, know what we should do? We should do a, anything about We fashion. should do like a bachelor fashion episode and we can bring like some of our favorite looks, like makeup looks in the yeah, past we, couple in, seasons yeah. and some of our least favorite. God bless everyone. <laughs> I don't know crap about fashion. My dress night one was $5 from Goodwill and I just got tailored and I loved but it. But that's what we're talking <laughs> about. The dress was beautiful and I'm, I was like all about that. It was so good. And But then you can break down some of the makeup and the hair. That I can do. You can do this. Just don't judge <laughs> the one on our season because I did most of them. <laughs> were you really? Were you back oh, yeah. there like doing everybody's like... Oh it was my way to like break the anxiety. Makeup is therapy for me so it was easy just sit there and be like I don't know you but you're gonna like me because I'm doing your hair and makeup (laughs) can't be the villain if you're the one making everyone feel good about themselves that is so true oh my god no if there was someone on a season I was on who could do makeup it would just be like the first in line at like 2 p.m. before rose ceremony like however long before I'd be like please Help me Sienna with all would, the lights. Sienna would do my lashes before every single night because I could, oh, I Lord knows I cannot do the glue. So I would literally, I would be there. I got to be like, Sienna. <laughs> well, I was up there for hours. Like, at the beginning of a couple of weeks, the girls just brought me food up from downstairs and I was like, next. Oh my <laughs> so God, fun. that's But awesome. it was a little manipulative because I knew they had to like me then. <laughs> I mean, I'm all you about using your, your skills. There you go. You can't talk crap about your hairdresser or makeup artist. <laughs> using the sources. But no, we should definitely have you on for a fashion or a recap because like I was saying too, all of your takes whenever you do a recap on your Instagram, I very much enjoy. <laughs> um, where can the people find you? Elise? Well, about once a month, you can find me on Instagram <laughs> at Elise underscore Mua. Elise Michelle Mua. See, I don't even know my own Instagram name. Oh, Lord. I'll get better. E-L-Y-S-E, right? Yeah. We'll make sure that it's right in the uh, <laughs> in notes. the episode notes. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Elise. Thanks, and um, Broads will chat soon. Chat soon. Chat soon. I've always wanted to say that. <laughs> <laughs>